Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, we'll hear about the big innovations coming down the tracks in the world of EVs. I'll take you inside the BT Young Scientist and Technology Exhibition. Plus, we'll meet the team at refurbed.ie to learn more about our shopping habits when it comes to used devices. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. But I want to start with the BT Young Scientist and Technology Exhibition, which took place in the RDS earlier this week. I am one of the biggest fans of this event. I took part uh, back when I was in school and I often refer to it as one of the best things I did in my teenage years. More than 1,000 students took part showcasing their projects and the organisers celebrated you ready for this? The 59th year of the event. I was lucky enough to meet with one of the men who came up with the idea all those years ago, Dr. Tony Scott. And I started by asking him if it was important to the legacy of the event that it was possible for it to take place online for two years during the pandemic. It couldn't have been done without the technology behind it. And I think great credit to BT for having doing having done it. I mean... It's a bit like the, the famous ad when Guinness lodged about some beer. It, they said it couldn't be done. They were right. Well, in this felt, I, I, I didn't think it was... I knew it was possible, but I didn't think it would turn out as well as it did. But the thing about it was, what, what you do miss is what you have out on there, the buzz. Because you're on a one, like we, we are one-to-one, you miss the interaction with all the other students and then more importantly the other students miss the, miss the interaction between themselves and that's the, the learning process because when you're doing research you're, you're generally working part of a team not as an individual you could be an individual not saying you can't but it's the interaction and that's what's happening down all over there is interaction between students Will you remind us what the initial pitch was for the Young Scientist Exhibition when it first started all those years ago? What was the vision and what were you trying to achieve? Well, back in the early 60s, it's really hard to know what we were trying to do. We realised that there was a the interest in science, and I'd call it science for, S, for STEM, we'd call it nowadays. The interest in science was, was not as strong as we felt it should be. The second thing we kind of felt was that Ireland at that time, there was a lot of emigration. And the, the industries, we hadn't got very many high-tech industries. But we put our heads together and said, look, if you, need a, if you want a high-tech industry, you, you must have scientists and engineers who are prepared to do it. So therefore, you need students to go and do science and, and engineering. So how do, how do you achieve that? So Father Tom and myself were both doing research in New Mexico at the time, and we heard about a science fair. Now, I never actually saw it because I was sent off to do research in further west in California. But he, he saw it, and when he came back, we put our heads together. And we said, well, surely we could do it here. Not on the scale that we're doing it in America, obviously. So we said, well, we try and do it. And the first one was held in the round room in 1965. And here we are, 2023. And it's still going. And it's incredible. I, I said earlier on in the show... 
when I took part in this a few years ago, it was one of the most defining moments in my teenage life. And if I look back to where I am now working in radio, I think it all stems back from when I took part in this competition because, or this exhibition, because I wasn't the most book smart. I wasn't the sportiest. I wasn't the most outgoing. Mm -hmm. But I had a, I was curious, I had a curiosity and I also wanted to explain what I was doing to people. And the process of having to explain your project to the judges gives you that confidence or it makes you have to develop that confidence. Absolutely. Is that something you've seen time and again, that those skills are almost accident, accidental consequences of they taking are. part in this? They, they develop them themselves. I mean, when you sit down with a student the first time, they're a bit apprehensive. But as you let them, my, my view always, as, as I've said many times, is what you set out to do, how do you do it, and what do you find? And we let them chat on, and I, you know, I interrupt and ask questions, what have you. And you build up this camaraderie between the, the student and myself. But the other thing is the students learn from themselves. And I think if you, if you, if you were a sociologist, there's an interesting project here. If you looked at the students when they came in here this morning, and looked at the same group of students on Friday evening, you'll see a remarkable change that has occurred over two and a half days. And that is because of the interaction of students with similar interests, not like interests, but similar interests, and learning to communicate with each other. Because in a school, they're in a, a, a narrow, very narrow area, they're talking to the same people all the time, which is great. But now they have a chance to meet students from other, other counties, other subjects, other categories, who become interested in what you're doing and you become interested in what they're doing. And it's a learning process. Yeah. One of the best things, in my opinion, that's happened to science in the last few years is that it's gone from STEM to STEAM and that we have that artistic element in there now. Mm. And as I walked the floor this morning, I noticed that there's all kinds of everything in the projects. Mm. It's not all, you know, science or chemistry based. Mm. There are people who are looking at societal issues or things that just impact them, their friends and their family, and they're looking to solve them. Mm. Has that evolution, uh, is that something that's just come in recent years that you know we're seeing that science can apply to everything or is that, are we just hearing more about it now I suppose? No, I think, I think it's developed as we got along, as students began to realise that science isn't compartmentalised, you just do this and you don't do anything else, you just do physics or you just do chemistry, but actually you can mix them together, so physics can gain from chemistry and chemistry can gain from biology and biology can gain from technology etc so you mix the whole lot together and students begin to think I'll use the bad term out of the box which is not what I mean but they learn that they can have a broad approach to the subject learning various things and various attitudes that if they stuck within a very narrow confine of a subject they probably wouldn't have got from your own point of view, as we stand here up on the balcony overlooking the floor, do you still get a thrill from coming here every January and seeing the students? I wouldn't do it unless I did. I mean, it's, you'd have to nail me to the floor to keep me out. And I think that one of the joys is coming in and sitting down beside the student and, and asking them, getting them to tell me their story. And that's the thing I, I kind of missed in the when we were electronic okay it happened it worked well and what have you but you miss this the fact that you're you, you you can sit down beside the student and when you're talking to somebody it's not just a, a piece of electronics between you yeah. there's something else you know looking at each other's faces or yeah yeah it's a yeah it's a would physical be the worst word i don't know but it'll do
there's a sort of there's an interaction which you gain not only by just bare communication but there's another interaction which feeds into the, the whole package and you get then the interaction gives rise to information being transferred in a different way than it probably would have done if it was just purely electronic. Uh, there's a lovely uh, display down by the main door and it's showcasing the winners over the last number of years and you've had some incredible success stories you know it's not enough that they've just won uh, the competition side of this event they've gone on to incredible things do you get pride from that and also like I see Stripe are now one of the partners with the event that must be nice to see that connection enduring Uh, it's good to see people who have given some who have gained I suppose and I use the word gained with a small g from their exposing themselves here and um gone on and developed it from that and I, I think it's great for them that they come back and give a little back to it and I mean if you you know we have the first winner is here today he acts as a judge he flies himself fly himself he flies in a plane from San Francisco to here every year to act as a judge and he was our first winner in 1965 but he still comes every year back to judge and becomes one of us, even though he was a very successful uh, business person in terms of technology and uh, that, that area. But he still wants to give back. And, you know, the fact that he's willing to do this shows that there's some sort of, I use the term chemistry, that ties us all together. And uh, there's, all the winners are sort of almost like a family. Uh, but you don't have to win it. I mean, it's great if you do win it, but just to take part helps in your own development and enables you to interact better, both whether you're going for a job or doing something else. That's something that you can't get in a... Well, you can get in a classroom, but you get it better here. The brilliant Tony Scott, one of the co-founders of the BT Young Scientist and Technology Exhibition, speaking to me on Wednesday. And while I was there... Of course, I had to meet some of the students to learn more about their projects. Um, my name's Ali Shea and we're from public school in Brishkina in Kimmer. Our project is called Clash of the Ash. It's about alternative materials for ash hurleys due to the ash dieback disease at the moment. And there's a shortage of ash. So we're testing out bamboo and fibreglass hurleys as well as ash as well to see which is the best. We went to our school field with uh, Liam O'Sullivan, which is also a Kerry miner. He poked them all, poked each litter as far as he could with each hurl, and he, from his results, he said bamboo is the best, fiberglass to ours, and ashes in the middle. He said um, he'd use it from now on when he's hurling, uh, even though he's used ash all his life. So that was a big surprise, yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Kieran Letty. I'm 16 years old and I'm from St. Joseph's Rush. My name is Aaron Dignam. I'm 16 years old and I'm from St. Joseph's Rush. So the aim of this project, so it's a, it's a virtual reality Irish learning uh, application and it was designed to kind of promote the learning of Irish. We've talked to a lot of people in our year and they don't find the Irish class that interesting. So we decided to like, why don't we do it in VR because... VR, it's quite a novel. So our main scenario that we have at the moment, it is a bedroom environment, and then there will be a lo- a good objects around you that are denoted by, in this we have them denoted with little green cubes, and when you point at them with the, uh, with the controller, the Irish for that object will show up as text. And then once you interact with it, uh, you can uh, it activates a question that can be answered. Uh, one, of the, one of the biggest findings from our tests was the most effective 
group to use this application on was people who are exempt from Irish. The average for the non-VR testers who are exempt was 23%, but then the average for the VR testers who are exempt was 77%, which is a, which is a massive, massive disparity. It shows that for people who are just starting to learn Irish, it is very, very effective. I suppose you guys, you said you're in fifth year now. Yeah, we're fifth so a lot of your secondary school education has been impacted by COVID. Yeah, a majority of it, yeah. So m- most of our, so obviously second year was when COVID uh, came into effect. So we spent the rest of our second year in on online learning. And then third year, it started back with the precautions and all that. But then around February of that time, uh, we went back into online learning again. So a lot of that uh, like is impacted like how we've been able to learn and also what we've been able to learn, I feel. And did that inspire this project then, rather than looking at a 2D screen, to be able to get into different scenarios and interact with things in a new way? Yeah, that was that was part of the inspiration. I think a few people from our school had already used VR. I think it was a speech training simulator, was it? Yeah, so yeah speech training. We had a previous project to enter. I think it was this competition where it was you were presented in a room full of models to give speeches and the pages were there in front of you. So already there has been an attempt at VR learning and VR training for modern scenarios. So it was quite literally, you were just put in front of a room of a load of virtual, I think there was models with people's faces stuck onto them, which was quite comical. Um, so yes, they, that was used to train so people who would suffer anxiety, giving speeches, public speaking, that kind of thing. So we, we looked at that and we went, okay, take something like that and then put our own spin nearly obviously the combination of covid impacting education our experience with the irish language we just decided this is definitely a and it was also the fact irish has never ever been done in virtual like there has been other attempts like spanish like the bigger language bigger european languages but no one has ever done irish before so that was also the it's a great the novelty nearly. Off. A lot less people are speaking it. Most people speak it only in school settings. So if we can spark that joy, that love for the language again, it'll encourage people, hopefully, to take an interest in our project and then take an interest in the language and the culture. Yeah, that's just some of the fantastic students I met at the RDS this week. Now, when we come back here on News Talk, we're going to look at some of the big EV announcements from this year's CES. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, took place last week in Las Vegas. There was kind of a mixed bag of stuff from it. Uh, we heard from Emmett Ryan on some of the consumer-facing products. But now I want to turn my attention to the world of vehicles because some people now joke that CES has become more about vehicles than about the consumer tech side of things. And Derek Riley of Nevo.ie is with me now. Uh, Derek, were you watching the action at CES very closely? Yeah, lots of stuff. And not just the car, the electrified vehicle in general between cars and vans and e-mobility. It's very much a lot of the traditional motor shows globally are suffering at the, the rise of the connection between technology and electrified vehicles. Yeah, the last time I was there, I was actually blown away by just how much of the vast real estate that CES has was taken up by cars and so on. Just give us a bit of a run through of some of the big players that were there and the ones that caught your eye. BMW, uh, I can run through at a high level. So you had BMW announcements, you had Sony and Honda announcements, we had Qualcomm, which are the chip developers. We had Volkswagen with their ID7. We had Samsung bringing out some automotive-related stuff. We had Google. We had Acer. We had Mercedes-Benz. We had Stellantis. 
We had some electronic roller blades and a lot more micro-ability. So Jess, from that menu of options, where would you like to start? I mean, it's the least sophisticated, but I need to know about the roller blades. Yeah, I I really don't know if this is a good thing. So these are roller blades that are electrified. So you have a kind of a remote in your hand and they are powered wheels. Um, so theory, it kind of sounds like a good idea, but I think people will um, probably kill themselves on it. Yeah, OK, I'm not going to add that to my list of things to test. So let's get into some of the the, the car manufacturers, the ones who are known uh, rather than the random rollerbladers. Let's start with BMW because they have been pushing the boat quite a bit in terms of innovation across all of their range, not just the EVs. But what do they have to showcase? So they had a, a show car, a concept car called the iVision D, D-double-E. Now, Jess, are you sitting down because the D-double-E is an acronym for something? And would you like to know what that acronym stands for? Oh, okay. Hang on. Let me take a guess. Hang on. Hang on. It'll be like dumb electric something something or something like that. Am I right? I know that you're not going to be happy with the answer. So the answer is just a digital emotional experience. No, thank you. I knew it. I knew it. So the iVision D, it's kind of a, a standard looking sedan kind of shape. So it's not an SUV. It's not something totally weird. But the technology in it is phenomenal. So externally, they're using e-ink, which has seen a big revival over the last couple of months and recent years. And so you're going to be able to change the color of your car to 32 different colors and patterns. So you can have a totally one-off, bespoke Jess Kelly original edition iVision D driving around whatever city you're going to be living in. And then if you want to change it because you're to match the outfit that you're wearing or your mood, uh, you can do that. Okay. See, sometimes I talk to you and we're talking about autonomous vehicles and we're talking about incredible battery technology. And then sometimes we're talking about matching your car to your outfit. And although this is definitely cool innovation, I always come back to that question of why. Hmm. Well, there's also the grill, which you can change to whatever emotion you're feeling. I'm going to move swiftly on because Ooh. the big thing within the iVision D, I think, is internally the windscreen that you're looking out through has augmented reality built into it and you can select as little or as much of that augmented reality encroaching on your vision of the world outside so it can have stuff as simple as your speed your uh, route destination etc etc or you can use the internal sliders button that they are on the dash that they've built into if you want more stuff brought in like what media you're listening to and you can increase that now and I know Jess is going to ask the question, Derek, this starts to sound like a bit of a distraction. Mm -hmm. I'm presuming that BMW and all their wisdom and all their decades of making um, motorized vehicles know that there is a, a level to which uh, drivers won't be distracted and pay attention to the road. Yeah, I'm not as sceptical about this because I saw a very early iteration it wasn't uh, BMW doing it it was another manufacturer doing it a few years ago the last time I was at CES and I, I was intrigued by it because what they were saying is that it's keeping within the driver's eye lines the driver's not having to look at the big you know iPad pro size uh, sized display on their left hand side or they're not looking down at the gauges they can kind of just look straight ahead and then, they, as you said there, they can control what they see, how long they see it for and all that kind of stuff. So that one kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. And, and a lot of people are and these are this concept vehicle. They're going to be picking and choosing elements of this concept vehicle that's, that's rolling out then across their other ranges, not just electrified, but also. So the I division is the BMW uh, electrified 
brand. So you've got your i4 or your i7 or your iX. So this is the iVision D, and we're going to see elements of this rolling out to other vehicles. Probably um, another keynote, and it seems to be a bit of an ambassador for them. Uh, you had Arnold Schwarzenegger speaking at the conference on their behalf, and he also featured in their Super Bowl advert there last year as well. You got to love those brand deals. Uh, in terms of other innovations that might be more practical than a colour changing car. Was there anything that you got super excited by and thought this will do well on Irish roads? It's starting to become what's the quirky thing rather than what's the practical thing. We had the third year of the Sony car coming back and now it's in partnership with Honda and that partnership is going to be called Aphelia. That's going to be the brand. So do you feel it? I feel you. Um, and what we have within that is you have um, really good driver assistance. So it has 40 sensors to help with self-driving or driving assist. It has 45 cameras and Sony being the name that it is in the camera field. Um, they kind of put a shot across the bows of their biggest, com- one of the well, big, well, big competitor with Tesla saying this is going to have one of the best in-car entertainment systems available on any model. And, you know, with the Teslas, you can do so much when internally within that um and so yeah that kind of innovation assistance rather than the quirky color changing stuff i think the likes of this and this sony vehicle is going to be available they're saying in 2026 and the longer we talk jess the longer we're doing this 2026 is only three years away and in a blink of an eye it'll be there what was really interesting is jess you would know sony from the tech side of things and the tv side of things they didn't announce a new television at the ces this year which was kind of like okay, we're known for televisions, but we're going into this space. Let's just focus on the electrified vehicles that we're going to partner with Honda on. Yeah, and I'm really interested to see who the different tech companies partner with because initially there was elements of technology in the background of cars, but now, you know, you mentioned there are 40 sensors. Cars are no longer, like they're essentially moving phones. Like they have all the technology and the functionality and the capability of a lot of our smart devices as well as having four wheels, doors and all the rest. So it is interesting to see what brands partner with what, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and we're going, we're hearing rumours again, as always, about the Apple car. We didn't have anything but more concrete. But when you see the likes of your Sonys, when you see the likes of other big, large tech companies focusing on this, and then you've got the established uh, legacy players, likes of BMW, uh, Volkswagen released their uh, concept ID7, which is now, we need, at least we know now the number. So we've got the four, the five, the buzz, Um, And the ID7 is their long sedan saloon. So again, it's not an SUV. This one, again, had light up paint that illuminated. But again, a bit of a a distraction from what will be a a long range. They're saying 700 kilometers, but it's going to be that low, potentially in an estate version. This is going to be a, a big selling car for them as well, for people that don't want SUV or don't need that SUV side of things. You mentioned Google and Acer on your long list of uh, brands. What what did they have to do with cars? So Google have a a lot of, they've got their in-car Android automotive and also their mirroring service Android Auto. So what they were announcing was their HD version of their Google Maps for vehicles. So really defined imagery, really crisp, clear graphics, because sometimes it can be a bit choppy and charty depending on what you're using. But Google are saying, right, these mobile computers on wheels can take the processing power and can really make these renders when you're driving along, give you lots more information when you need it. 
and also then on their mirroring side, the Google Andro Android Automotive, Android Auto, apologies, uh, they're going to be able to split screen. So at the moment, when you're in your car and you plug in your phone or it connects wirelessly, you can have maps on. And then when you want to go to Spotify, you have to click into Spotify. But uh, there isn't as much information then coming up from the map side of the business. What they're doing is they're going to put a split screen so you'll still be able to see if uh, half your screen and maps directions etc and then what you're playing on your streaming service be that spotify or wherever it may be um yeah interesting to see that and then on the back of that then you've got the likes of the qualcomm they have their snapdragon chip and they've got a specific one called the digital chassis which is predominantly made for automotive for vehicles etc and just to understand how big this marketplace is for the googles etc last july they had a, an order book of 11 billion dollars for semiconductors for the automotive business uh, industry and then by september that increased to 30 billion so nearly three times of an increase uh, in semiconductors uh, Acer had an interesting one, Jess, and you might hear me that I'm out of breath, but uh, what Acer are doing is they're developed a desk bike that you can power your mobile devices while sitting at your desk. What's Jess's thoughts on that? Um, I know people who will instantly buy it. I, I know that because I'm on TikTok and I see people doing the treadmill thing and all the rest just to try and get their step count up. So I think it will sell. But I'd love to know how much it's going to cost. Yeah, uh, I didn't catch the price now. So, but listen, health is the benefit is the, is the main priority here. So, getting it to increase your your count, etc. Um, we have a couple of large players in that automotive space, the likes of the Apple CarPlay and the Android Auto and Automotive. But other legacy brands like Samsung aren't going to be left behind. So, what they're looking at is wearables specifically for drivers that will talk to the car and notify you when you're starting to feel a bit tired etc etc so again another interesting play if they can't make a car themselves they're definitely in that automotive space and as much as it's the consumer electronic show it is very much turning into the consumer electric vehicle or even uh, automotive show in general um, lots of floor real estate space giving up to the technology called lidar which has to do with uh, self-driving vehicles or driver assistance, and that stands for laser imaging detection and range. And so that will uh, identify like two football fields away if there's somebody crossing the road or if there's a sign or whatever it may be. And so all of this technology that, again, it's not all about the car manufacturers that we know, it's all of these other brands that are feeding into and creating employment, et cetera, uh, in the industry. Yeah, I'm really interested in that Samsung innovation that you mentioned, because obviously for uh, logistics companies and so on, those type of insights could be really beneficial in terms of driver welfare and safety and all the rest. It's it's cool that they're not just looking at the obvious of not obvious, but you know what I mean, of just going down the route of vehicle. Yeah, because you can track a vehicle's speed, you can track a vehicle's location, etc. But what was the driver doing at the time? What was his, her or theirs heartbeat or temperature or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So definitely, yeah, it's starting to make it into all one ecosystem so that we're able to make sure that people that are doing these jobs and it's a long day delivering packages or whatever it may be, making sure that they're in good health and that they're able to keep continuing to do what they do. One of the big issues that we spoke about a new, uh, numerous times in 2022 was the uh, semiconductor shortage, the impacts of that in terms of supply of vehicles. Did we get any sense of it impacting the innovation and the showcasing of what's coming down the tracks? 
No, definitely. I think the research and development departments and the concept departments of all these car companies are ploughing ahead anyway because they really have to show that they're doing something different. And if you're a certain brand, you have to believe in that brand that they're innovating and doing something that's future proofing the company, etc. So even though we might not have the semiconductors to power them, but I think that's getting better. And again, from those numbers from Qualcomm, we're seeing that there is a, a stream of stuff coming through and innovation isn't being stifled by any means. People are being smarter about it and obviously lean operations and being able the purchasing power like some of the larger uh, organizations like Ford they're able to produce an electric vehicle with all the bells and whistles for a market price that a smaller manufacturer may not be able to just because of the scale of them. Mm. I want to come back briefly to the Google update that you mentioned is that something that will just be pushed out like a phone update and people will be able to do or is that you know a paid premium service? Great question. Yeah, so it's going to roll out per market. It's going to be in the North American market first. And then like any of the other updates that you may see on an app or in the actual operating system itself, it will roll out per market. I presume there needs to be an element of ma- mapping done. Ireland is fairly good because we have the headquarters here in Dublin. So we usually see and you'll see the Google Street View car going around every other day. And so what we find is we, we aren't left behind on that list um, with CES as well, it's not just about the cars that are coming down the line of the technology, it's the ancillary services as well. So Mercedes-Benz put out a big announcement that they're going to set up their own proprietary charging network for Mercedes-Benz drivers. And we're, again, we're starting to see that if I purchase a certain vehicle, will I have the ability to charge it? Um, and there was a lot of technology about charging, wireless charging, battery storage. So uh, not just the cars itself and the technology in that, but everything that goes into the outside of it. Yeah, because it does feel, and I know you're, I, I, I'm going to preempt what you're going to say. I know you're going to say it's not as big as an issue as it was. But anyone that I've spoken to who's considering an EV, although they may not have range anxiety or they may not want to call it that, that does seem to be the biggest barrier to them buying one of these cars because they know it makes sense. They know that there's a great selection of them. So I think more that the more that could be done in terms of communicating the plans for the charging network and the building and the facilitation of the charging network, the more we will see these on our roads. For sure. It's going to get better, Jess. I'll just answer that first. But yeah, you're right. And talking to even my friends and family, and they know I'm, I'm in that EV space all day, every day, when I talk about new charging hubs opening up in Mullingar or Cork or Galway, like they're not aware of it. Whereas I'm watching planning applications going into the local authorities and the local councils around the country. I'm talking to these hardware providers. So yeah, understanding that it's definitely is coming, joking aside, and that charger anxiety um, is something that people are, yeah, they, they drive past the charger and there might be one or two people waiting, but we're going to see larger hubs with multiple chargers in it. Um, one other thing I want to quickly cover is we had Stellantis Group, which is now an amalgamation of French, German, Italians who've got Fiat, Peugeot, etc. So it was interesting that Peugeot, a French brand at CES, talking about their concept car called the Inception. Uh, really nice, nothing to do with Christopher Nolan. But interesting that Peugeot don't sell cars in the United States, but still they decided to use CES to announce this vehicle that's coming down the line or is their concept vehicle, which is going to kind of talk about their design language for the years to come. Yeah, I think it's showing that CES is such an important event because regardless of whether your product is going to be in the US market or in the European market or whatever, anybody who's interested in anything to do with technology or electric vehicles or whatever it is, that's where they're looking to see what the trends are. And I suppose if you're not there, then you're not on the agenda.
Yeah, for sure. And Stellantis as a group as well. They had the, the American Dodge Ram Revolution, which is their electric pickup. We're never going to see it in Ireland, but it's interesting to see what's out there. And that technology may roll into other brands. But then out of left field, they talked about they're really going to start pushing into the uh, vertical takeoff and landing uh, like those kind of human sized drones. Uh, e-vitals is what they're called electric vertical takeoff and landing so this is where you would have the likes of your uh, electric taxi that would come and pick you up with a, with a kind of heliport and then bring you across the other side of the city much faster because there's no traffic in the skies at the moment anyway yeah but uh, okay i'm not even going to get into that one <laughs> how who's going to police the skies yeah you need to start looking at your science fiction movies there that, that's all you need to do just I think we just need to square away electric scooters first. If we can get to that and then we can start tackling uh, devices that'll pick you up and fly you around the place. Well, look, there's clearly a lot of innovation coming down the tracks and we will, of course, bring you reviews of all of the EVs as soon as Derek uh, gets his pause on them. Derek Riley of Nevo.ie. As always, thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks, Jess. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to the final part of Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Uh, before the break, we heard from Derek Riley of Nevo.ie talking about some of the EV news from CES. And I forgot to mention, if you want to take a look at some of the reviews Derek has done, maybe you're considering a new car or you just want to see how tall he really is, uh, you can head over right now to YouTube and search for EV Review Ireland. It's a name that very much does what it says on the tin. Uh, but moving on, we've spoken quite a bit on this programme about the popularity of refurbished devices. It's a trend that's continuing to grow. And Refurbed.ie is one of the key players in that market here in Ireland. The company's marketing manager, Podrick Power, is with me now. Uh, Podrick, you're welcome to the show. Can you just give us a bit of an introduction as to who and what Refurbed is? Yes, absolutely. Um, so Refurbed.ie is a website where we sell refurbished devices. Um, so that's usually your kind of general day-to-day tech. So whether it comes from your phones to laptops, tablets, smartwatches, even kitchen appliances or household appliances. And essentially what um, we do is, as I said, we sell the refurbished devices. And what that means are these are devices that have uh, been around before. They were due to be e-waste. They were saved. They go through a 40-step refurbishment process and then they're sold with refurbed and customers end up getting these devices up to 40% cheaper versus if they were buying them for new. And also the devices are 100% sustainable because when you're purchasing a uh, refurbished device, it's automatically 70% more um, sustainable than a new device due to the production. And then with refurbed, we offset the remaining 30% by planting a tree for every device that's sold as well. I'm interested to know if you know from your customers what pushes them to buy from you guys in terms of refurbished devices. Is it that greener footprint or is it the 40% cheaper? Yeah, so there's three kind of main pillars that we've identified with our customers. Uh, the first of which is definitely price. Um, we are in a, a cost of living crisis right now. And generally speaking, we're at a point in time where consumers are very educated and they know that a lot of the new phones and new laptops, etc., are overpriced, particularly the last few years. There's new devices coming out, but they're not that much more advanced than the ones that were made a few years prior. So that would be the first pillar. Then secondly, we actually see people coming to us due to quality and trust. Um, so I think one of the 
the main reasons we've had great growth in this last year is because people now know refurb and people trust it and recommend us whereas obviously in your first year here people are a bit weary like what is refurbished what what does that mean is it trustworthy but now that we have um a, a good base of customers very luckily for us they're referring us to people and they're coming back themselves as well and then the third option is sustainability. So we do have some customers who specifically choose us due to our sustainable nature. And then we have other customers who come for price, but they also mention that the sustainability is a factor for them. And it is a really feel good factor that they know that they're doing something right for the environment. Yeah, the the not a massive difference between the phones is something that I as a reviewer have, have sort of mentioned over the last number of years. You're kind of finding ways to say, oh, the camera is deadly in new words, essentially, because they are very modular updates. So in terms of, you know, if you look at your sales over Christmas, for example, are there trends in terms of what people were buying and how far back in terms of older models people were willing to go? Yeah, absolutely. There were. Um, so what we're seeing is that the trends do tend to change a little bit with time, but people generally speaking get phones that are about three to four years older. So ones that were made or were new three or four years ago or brought to the market then. Um, so we saw last year, actually, or sorry, the year before last now at this stage, it was the iPhone 8 that people were really interested in. But then this past year and this past Christmas, the iPhone 11 has been the top seller with Refurb. So people tend to be happy to go for devices that are about those three, four years old. And I do think that one of the reasons for that as well is usually the um, older, for lack of a better word, or the longer a product has been on the market, the price can get even better with time. So I think people are seeing, okay, from the iPhone 11 up, it's very similar across the board to the 12, 13, 14. There's not huge differences. But then aside from that, it's very, very well priced. Um, and even now, as we're coming into January, we're seeing more people look at the 12. So it's interesting to see that it tends to, to move along slightly and people mm -hmm. do get newer models, but they generally stick to like the three, four-year-old models. One of the questions that often comes to me about buying refurbished devices is people are concerned that like in the case of iPhone, for example, they may stop software support for some of the older devices. When you're selling something like the iPhone 11, what is the, the warranty and what is the communication, I suppose, around software, the software side of things? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so with regards to our devices for warranty, you always get a minimum 12 month warranty with every device from refurbed. Uh, so that's no, no matter what type of category you're looking for. And then with regards to the, um, the software updates, if you check out Apple's website um, or whichever software, if you're getting Samsung, etc., they'll always tell you what uh, phones are compatible with what iOS updates or other uh, software updates. So when you look at it now, as far as I'm aware, the iPhone 8 is even up, up to, it can take the newest updates. So if you're getting the 11 or if you're getting something around that time, you know that you even have an extra number of years because the 8 was, out, I think it was what, like three years before the 11. Um, so it, it is something that consumers definitely should keep in mind. The other thing to think of as well is, who is the device for um mm -hmm. so i myself i'm somebody who i do like to stay up to date with the the newest software i do want to make sure that you know i have a, a nice shiny product 
but there are other people like my parents wouldn't really care as much so they might be happier to get an older device just once the device still works and they mightn't really care about the having the newest software update so it really depends on the consumer themselves but also just check what um, is the oldest device from that company that's compatible with the software now and it'll give you a good indication of how many years you have with whichever model you're looking at. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose it's the same with looking at digital mobile networks rather than the traditional networks. There are compromises to be made along the way. But the idea of buying from someone like yourselves or the other reputable refurbished uh, sellers is that you do get a warranty for the device, but you also have a good knowledge that it's gone through a full refurbished process. You mentioned there that there are 40 steps. I don't want to ask you to read them all out, but can you just tell our listeners a little bit about what goes into ensuring a device is ready for sale? Yeah, of course. Um, so the 40 steps, I probably wouldn't know everyone off the top of my head, but with regards to uh, the refurbishment process, firstly, they obviously we get the devices, but then aside from that, they're fully tested. Um, so they're tested, number one, as a device itself, but number two, each component itself is individually tested. Uh, the devices are cleaned both when it comes to data cleansing, but also sterilizing the device The device itself. Once each component is tested, um, if it's good and if it's, if, you know, if it's in perfect condition, that's great. We'll make sure uh, we don't need to use a new aspect. Whereas if there's any component of the phone that is underperforming, that will be replaced. Um, and the, sorry, I'm speaking of phones now, but as I said, we do other devices as well. Um, and then basically once it's gone through the full process it will be retested it will go through everything again and the, it will be data cleansed additionally just to make sure there is no data there um, from any previous owners then the device once it's fully sterilized packaged up buffered as well to make sure the exterior of the device looks perfect it will be um, packaged up and and ready to go and then with refurbed we have a 30-day free trial period for all of our devices as well i think it's the longest um i've seen anyway of any irish refurbished um offer and with regards to that it's just that extra bit of comfort for customers because when they do receive their device they have 30 days to test it out and make sure it's perfect for them and even at that if they just want to return a device because they don't like the device itself or like you know if someone wants to test out iphones and they haven't used it before and then they're not into it they can even return it for that reason it doesn't need to be due to a fault once it's within the 30 days we're happy um for people to at least have tried refurbished devices you mentioned there that it's not just phones. There's a broad spectrum of devices on offer. Uh, when it comes, because Refurb is, you have a bit a large footprint. It's not just based here in Ireland. So when devices uh, such as laptops, for example, are being bought, do consumers from Ireland need to be careful in terms of, you know, different keyboard layout or that kind of thing? Yes, definitely. So we do have it on our site. We have um, a, an array of different keyboard layouts. For Ireland, we do have, when you check, um, the, the UK or US keyboard 99% of the time will be the one that's automatically there for you. But there is a keyboard layout uh, tab, I suppose, when you're selecting your laptop. So just make sure that you are on the UK or US version if that's important to you. If you're somebody and you don't mind using a device from another, uh, you know, another area, they or keyboard even they still um will all work the same but you just you mightn't be used to that type of keyboard so if you want to make sure you have a uk or us keyboard do double check it um it should be clicked automatically 90 percent of the time but just in case keep an eye out i'd, I'd recommend
just tell me a little bit about that wider company and, you know, where is it headquartered and do the devices that are sold in Ireland just come from Ireland? How does that work? Of course. So the company itself was founded just over five years ago. I think we're actually pushing on six years now. And uh, it was founded in Austria, so in Vienna and Austria. And essentially how it was founded is one of our founders themselves is very into sustainability and also saving that bit of cash when need or when necessary or when possible. So he had purchased a secondhand phone, but then it ended up that it didn't work and he was stuck and he lost all the money. So he wanted to make sure that there was a sustainable alternative where the customer was also covered, which is why Refurbed came into play. Um, from then, it was in Austria for close to a year and then branched into Germany. And those would have been the two core markets. And then within the last two years or so, Refurbed has expanded across a number of markets in Europe, Ireland being one of them. Then when it comes to the devices and where they come from, we actually have merchants all around Europe. So we have uh, different locations in different countries everywhere in Europe, including in Ireland. So we do have local merchants here in Ireland as well. Uh, when possible, we the, the devices are shipped uh, locally. So if there's a local merchant that sells the device, it's always great to support them. And part of the aspect of that as well is the delivery time because obviously if something's delivered from Ireland it's due to arrive usually that bit faster so it'll be prioritized then for Irish customers so um, we do have that option but then as well it's great that we have merchants around Europe because it gives a lot more uh, availability for different models and different types of stock as well and it makes sure that the products are the most competitively priced for the customers too. Great stuff. Well, it's great to uh, hear more about the company because I see ads for it pretty much every day on TikTok. So it's nice to kind of get a personality to the brand. Padraig Power, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thank you too, Jess. It's been a pleasure. And that's it for this week. A quick reminder to subscribe to Tech Talk on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud or wherever you get your podcasts. John Fardy's up next with Screen Time here on News Talk. I'll chat to you next week.